spite a coward and wanted to make all the excuses in the world. And when we look at that, that, that Exodus event when God took his people out of Egypt and rescued them, it's, it's, it's the biggest event in the Old Testament. And the life of Moses overshadows probably 1500 years. He's such a great man of God and his influence in that nation and what he did to take those people out of Egypt was incredible. And that, that event, it forged something in the hearts of the Hebrew people. They knew, they knew that God was for them. For God to do the things that he did in terms of all the miracles and, and, um, the angel of death coming through and killing all the firstborns. When the Hebrew people left Egypt, they knew that their God was greater than any other God and they knew that God was for them, that he blessed them and that he favoured them. It did something in their psyche. It did something in the fabric of who they were as a people and they left that place knowing that their God was the God above every other God. You know, there were gods everywhere in Egypt. There was the God of the sun and the star and the moons and everything, but what God did was demonstrate that he was greater than every other Egyptian god. He made a mockery of them. And he came and he showed them that he even had power over life. And Moses led those people out. We're not talking about this bunch of people. We're talking about one and a half million people that he had to organise and get the word around and lead them out. And I've been to the MCG when there's 100,000 people there and I just look at them and I go, how would you organise that? But he had the faith and the courage to say, I'll lead you. God, show me the way, let's go. What sort of man can do that? What sort of man can have the courage and, and the faith to know that you can lead a bunch of people out into a desert where there's no supermarkets and God's going to provide? What sort of a man can do that? What sort of a man can have that formidable faith to stand at the edge of an ocean with his staff and go make it part? Incredible man of God. And yet when I look at that, I just see Mark Wilson because I see the same fears, I see the same hesitance, I see the same reluctance in my life and yet I know that God can do it. I know that God can do it. An awesome man. Sorry, John. Thanks, mate. How did Moses become the man that he was? How could there be such a, a radical transformation and so quickly? I believe we saw the main reason why today is that he had an encounter with God himself. I am who I am. Like Moses, I don't know what happened for him in the days, the hours, the weeks after that event, but you could imagine he was just shell-shocked, told to take off his shoes because it was holy ground. He stood in the presence of the living God. Something happened to him that changed him. You know, bushes just don't burn. They don't speak. You know, he had an experience with God that was incredible. And, and I believe when you look at Scripture, all the great men and women of God had an encounter with God. They knew the presence of God in their life was real and tangible. And we need that. When I look at that story, it's exactly the same as the 12 apostles because Peter was a guy that denied Christ. He was fearful and frightened and they were hiding in the upper room. And yet what happened? 
the Spirit of God came and manifested his presence and suddenly what happened? Boldness, courage, let's go tell the world. Isn't that the same story as Moses? Don't send me, God, send Tabitha. She's much more gifted than me. Please send Nikki, send somebody else. I can't speak, I can't do anything. Send somebody else. But then the heart change come and it was, Lord, I'll go. Lord, send me. Nothing could hold them back. Why? Because they experienced the presence of God. And I think so many people in our churches have never had that. And we wonder why they're not passionate. We wonder why they don't worship. We wonder why they sit there sort of a bit lost. It's because we've done church. We haven't done the presence of God. We've done tradition. We've done formats and forms that don't bring us into the presence of God. Moses knew the presence of God. He knew that there was no excuse relevant. Like every excuse he gave, God said, what? I will be with you. God's presence is all we need. Moses didn't need uh, a degree. He didn't need the qualifications. He just needed to know that I will be with you, Moses. That's enough. It's all you need to know. And I think he got that. I think he got that because we know he goes back to Jethro's house and he packs up his bags and he goes to Egypt. So there's no, something happened radically where he didn't doubt anymore, he didn't fear anymore, he just went, he was obedient. And I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want to have to face a million people and try and convince them that God had sent you. They'd laugh at him. Who are you? You're Moses, you're the murderer. You're the one that was raised in the Egyptians' courts and you want to tell us that you're going to be our leader? We're in bondage and slavery and you're going to lead us out? What, with that staff and your donkey? Imagine what had to happen in his heart for him to go with courage and boldness and go, God sent me. It had to be God's presence. It's the only thing that could have changed him to believe that way. So we've got to know who we are. Moses could have made every excuse forever and a day, but I'm a murderer. I can't do this. I'm a murderer. I'm not worthy. I'm a murderer. I ran away from my people. He could have made every excuse under the sun, and we often do that. But he had the courage to go because God's presence changed him. You know, the worst thing that Moses could have done was was argued with God because really he was calling God a liar. Really, he was challenging the the sovereignty of God by saying, I can't, because God was saying, yes, I know you can't, but I can. (laughs) And that's all you need to know. I know you can't. I know you're slow of speech. That's why I'll send Aaron. Did he ever use Aaron very much? No, he didn't. He actually was the spokesperson himself. God knew. He knows our failures. He knows our inadequacies. He knows we're not capable. That's exactly the point. I will be with you. I'll go with you. Interesting that, that God got Moses to throw his staff down. And that staff was pretty much Moses' only possession, really. It, it identified him as a, as a shepherd, but then it was the one thing that God got him to throw down. And it symbolized that we've we got to let go of who we think we are. We've got to let go of the possessions that we have and everything that we own because when we let it go, when we, when we surrender it and we throw it down like Moses did, suddenly we can see what God can do with what we've got in our hands. Isn't that a true principle? 
Until we throw down what we've got, our, our lives, our resources, everything that we are, then, then we'll never know the full potential of what can, God can do with us until we're ready to lay it all down. What made Moses such a man of extreme faith? If you read Exodus chapter 33, you'll discover why Moses was the man that he was. This is what it says. Then Moses said to God, this is Moses challenging God or requesting of God, show me your glory. Show me, reveal yourself to me. I don't want to just see a burning bush. I want to know the God behind the burning bush. I want to see you in all your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, Moses, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. And I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Then the Lord said, there's a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover cover my hand over you until I pass by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. Moses wanted to see God. He wanted to be in God's presence. He wanted there to be no barriers, no inhibitions, nothing. He just wanted to see God in all his glory. And that hunger, that desire, that that knowing that he needed God's presence changed everything for him. And if we have that hunger and that yearning in our lives, it's going to draw us deeper into God. It's going to change how we see ourselves. And we're going to be able to see God's potential in and through us when we look like that. But the next verse there is the key. Then Moses said to God, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us from here. How will anyone in officer know that you are pleased with Mark and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and you and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? It's got to be God's presence. Surely if God's presence manifests in our activate groups, in our families, in our churches, and people come in, they'll go, there's something different here. But if they come in and there's no presence of God, what are we actually offering them? We're offering religion. We should be offering a relationship with the spirit of the living God. There should be something tangible about when we come together. If we're all coming in expectant to meet with the living God and our hearts are yearning for that, surely God's not hiding, is he? He's not hiding out in the shipping container behind the brick wall out there. He wants to meet with his people. But this is God's presence we're talking about. It's not something flippant. We've got to come with holy hands and holy hearts, yearning to meet with God, expectant to meet with God. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I want to see you. And that hunger and that, that, that individual yearning, when we bring that together corporately and we come and we want to meet with God, I can guarantee you God's going to come because that's what he wants. He wants to meet with his people. He wants us to be like Moses, to know that we need God's presence. And when we don't have it, we need to ask why. Why, Lord? Because when we're in God's presence, it breeds worship, breeds expectation, breeds dependency on God. 
it helps us to understand obedience and, and there's joy in God's presence. There's hope in God's presence. There's peace and there's strength. God's presence is the key. Why do you think Jesus said to the 12, don't go anywhere until you're filled with the presence of the living God? Because it's the only way they could achieve the mandate. It's the only way they could achieve the mission was to know that they're spirit-filled that the presence of God goes with them. The year of formidable faith. That formidable faith can only happen when our lives are overflowing with the presence of God. When we're hungry for God to control our lives, when we're humble, when we understand that we are a living sacrifice. We are the only religion in the world that are living sacrifices. And you and I are those sacrifices. And we come today and this dynamic of worship is to lay our lives on the altar and say, God, without your presence in me, I have nothing worthy to offer. Without your presence alive and vibrant in me, what will distinguish me from any other man in this region? When Jeremy goes to work and he's amongst all those tradesmen, what sets him apart? The fact that he has a head full of knowledge about God? No, that the manifest presence of God is all over him. When Moses came down from the mountain, what happened? He had to hide his face because the people couldn't look at him because he'd been in the presence of God and his face was shining. Well, Corinthians tells us that the glory we have in the New Testament being Holy Spirit-filled people far outweighs what Moses had. And we look at Moses and go, wow, his face shone. He spent 40 days in the presence of God. But the Scripture's telling us we've got more. We've actually got more. So something's got to happen in us where we hunger for that presence of God. I wonder if I could be so bold as to ask you, have you ever had an encounter with God? Like a sense in which God, God's presence is, is around you or over you or in you and through you because, because I think, sadly, we're not encouraging people to have those experiences you know yesterday i was at a seminar and i was talking about how the baptist denomination is very strong on the word of god and being people of god's word and knowing god's word and and being academic and 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 knowing the truth and i think that's so fundamental and foundational but then we've lost the sense of the spirit of god and the experience of god and we sat in a lecture yesterday and people were, were trying to convince me that we'd just get caught up in emotion and that we'd get somehow lost in, you know, this wishy-washy form of Christianity. But, but it's not you lose this one for the sake of this one. The real Christian faith is you get both. You get word and spirit. You get a, a knowledge base of God that gives you theology and a foundation of belief, but you also get to experience that belief. I don't want to just know about God. I want to know God in my heart and in my life. And the sad part is for years and years I just knew about God. 
And it wasn't until I had that encounter with God that everybody had taught me not to have and to be fearful about because something supernatural might happen. But isn't that God? God is supernatural. So why is it a crime for us to want to get close to God? Why is it, why is it something that we hold back from? Why is it something that we're fearful of? Shouldn't we want the manifest presence of God? Shouldn't we just be able to go, I know God's here. <laughs> That's sufficient for me. I'll just soak in that for a little while, can I? Can I just sit in the presence of God? In your presence, there is peace. In your presence, Lord, there's joy. In, this pre- in your presence, everything else just gets into right perspective, doesn't it? Why could Moses be the man that he was? Why, why, why could he have that sense of determination? Why, why, could he, why could he go in faith? It was because he'd, he'd experienced the presence of God. He knew that was the ultimate. He knew there was no more excuses, nothing he could say that would, would be, was going to change God's mind. He's God, the supernatural, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I believe we need to cultivate an environment where people experience God. You know, I, I long for our young people here to have an experience with God and that when they come and they watch the adults worship, some, something impacts them because they see our desperation, they see our yearning, they see our hunger, they see that, that this isn't a religious exercise, this isn't um, an exercise where we're just coming to tick a box and say, well, we've done our Sunday bit, but we're coming to experience God. And our, and our children that sat here this morning, I watched them. They were not interested. Why? Because we haven't taught them how to experience God. We've taught them something that's not the full counsel of God. We need to redo church in such a way that, that when we come, we're hungry and we're yearning. And we don't leave until we've met with God. You know? That's an individual thing where we come and, and we yearn, but it's also a corporate thing. Because if half the church is hungry and half the church is disinterested, God's going to say, well, do you really want this? Is this a priority for you? Or you know, God won't play games with us. You know, Moses was obviously a very reverent man because he humbled himself and said, okay, Lord, what will distinguish me if you're not going with me? What will make Catalyst different from any other church if God's presence is not all over it? Not that it's a competition. Every church should be full of the presence of God. You know, surely when our families get together and a non-Christian family comes in, they'll go, there's something different about the way you guys function and you love each other and you, you operate. What is it? It's the presence of God. There's something different about you in the workplace. What is it? It's the presence of God. And when we have that Shekinah glory, when we have that tangible presence of God in our midst, God will be free to move and people will know, just like Moses knew, something significant had happened. That's my prayer. The presence of the living God will fall upon us. The presence of the living God will be alive in us. We've got a hunger for that. If we're going to be people of formidable faith, it's going to be God's presence that makes the difference. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for the privilege of, of entering into a relationship with you that, 
that is experiential. Lord, that's why you gave us senses to see and to feel and to touch and to know. But Lord, we're talking about our spiritual being being alive as well, which is a far greater experience than just being touched physically. It's a spiritual encounter with you where my soul knows very well and my spirit is immersed and connected in the spirit of the living God. Father, it's entry-level Christianity to encounter the Holy Spirit, to be baptized in the presence of the living God, to be a vessel that's empty and then filled with God, filled with the wonder and the awe of God, overcome by your presence and your power. Father, I wonder if we're really hungry today. I wonder if we're really yearning to encounter you. Or we just do religion. We just have been doing this for so long and for so many years. It's just become something that we do without much thought. Father, make our hearts hungry. Father, let us not be ashamed of our faith. Let us not be ashamed of being sold out for you and passionate about you and passionate about your presence and hungry to enter in, to know you. Lord, all I can ask you to do is pour out your spirit. Change us where we're reluctant, Lord. Change us where we've become religious and dry. And Father, fill us afresh. Draw us into your presence and set a fire within us, Lord, to yearn after you. Father, as we move into a time of worship now and just responding to you, Father, break the shackles that hold us back from true worship because it's all about you, it's not about us. And Lord, we want to we praise you and glorify you and give you everything you so truly deserve today. Father, we're going to give you our lives afresh this morning. We're going to open our, our mouths and open our hearts and open our hands open our lives to you this morning, Lord, and I want to invite you, Holy Spirit, come. Come and touch people that have never been touched before. Lord, just you touching them as they, as they, I guess, test you, Lord, and come and say, Father, here I am. Show me who you are. You showed Moses. You'll show us. You showed the apostles. You've been showing people for generations. Right around the world now, Lord, you're showing people as they meet and hunger for you. Your presence is falling. Your presence is moving. Father, we want your presence. We don't want to go from this place. We don't want to go into our families or our workplaces without you. We need you. We need you more than anything else. Father, stir up that hunger in our hearts today. Individually, corporately, Father, meet with us, we pray. Move by your Spirit. Remind us of who you are. Lord, let us see your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name.